to the Get Start Podcast. Today is a special episode. I've got my good friend Peter Lindsay in from California. Pete, how we doing today? Doing great. Feeling well. It's a Friday. It is a Friday. A Friday and uh, we're out of work a little early and get to spend some quality time together. I'm, I'm really excited for this weekend. Me too. Except yes. for this, this Kansas weather, I'm not sure about it <laughs> after coming from California. Yeah, you left the 50s and 60s for... It was about it was sub zero at one point today, especially the feels like so. It's uh, building some character, putting more hair on the chest. Not that you need any more. <laughs> <laughs> oh, certainly not that. Yes. <laughs> so usually to start things off, I like to tell a story of how uh, I met my guest, but we're gonna postpone that because there's a couple things that we've got to discuss. I mean, the listeners can't see you, but you're wearing your Giannis Antetokounmpo. Milwaukee Bucks shirt right oh, now. Nice. Yeah, I well hit done. it. I well hit done. it. I've had a lot of practice. Five <laughs> seasons of practice, but uh, the Milwaukee Bucks jumping from a team that hasn't won a playoff series in in years, really struggled under the leadership of Jason Kidd, um, and now come 2019, first season with Coach Budenholzer, sitting at 40 and 13, the best team in the NBA. Uh, this came out of nowhere. Yeah, I'm super excited for it. It's uh, basketball is not a sport that I used to think of as being proud of when coming from you know Wisconsin before, and I'm glad that we can you know see these changes to the team and seeing where we're at is uh, pretty cool. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, you know, growing up, I think we we always had the Badgers. The Badgers were always pretty good. I think of like names like Alondo Tucker, Kirk Heinrich, um, Kirk Penny. Kirk Heinrich is a Jayhawk. Um, Devin Harris, stuff like that. But the Bucks, outside of when we had the big three, Big Dog Robinson, Sam Cassell, and Ray Allen, they they kind of struggled for for a long time. So the loyal fans are kind of getting paid here um, for sticking with the team throughout all the years. And uh, so one thing that's been kind of exciting as a Bucks fan is we had Giannis as a captain for the All Star Game, which is coming up. They, him and LeBron drafted yesterday, and he snagged Steph Curry, JoJo, Rock Chalk, PG-13, Paul George, and Kemba Walker to round out the starters. And then he got Chris Middleton, the other Milwaukee Buck, as his sixth man. So uh, I think that's going to be a pretty fun experience to watch Giannis and Chris Middleton play together at the All-Star game in a week or two. Absolutely. Yeah, it should be should be good stuff. Absolutely. And... So Buck's Twitter's been kind of crazy lately. Um, two days ago, we flipped Thonmaker for Stanley Johnson, and everybody's like, well, that's meh, Stanley Johnson. He's 22, but he hasn't really panned out uh, in the way that we thought he would. Then yesterday, we flipped Stanley Johnson for Nikola Mirotic, who's a six foot ten power forward, great shooter, just another guy that Giannis can distribute to. Um, and Brian Windhorst, the legend, called this a grand slam deal so you know it seems like the bucks are um they're already you know tremendous great squad great leadership and um now we've we've made a couple moves that have helped to solidify the roster and they really seem like um they're they're all in and this could be the season that we see a deep postseason run so uh do, do you think this is the year we finally break the break the mold and win a playoff series at the very least Bucks in six. You know it. 
Um, no, I think <laughs> I think it's definitely. my favorite hashtag. <laughs> uh, no, I, I'm super excited. I think you kind of hit on it too, and committed. They're definitely committing this year and kind of picking mm. up the key pieces, uh, making moves that I feel like we haven't seen, or at least at that level and if with that level of commitment in the past. So it is super exciting, and yeah, I'm confident that we'll we'll make a run. To what level, we'll see. Yeah, there's still a lot of season left, and we got to stay healthy for sure. Um, John Horst has played a, a remarkable role in the entire turnaround. Uh, general manager, I think this is his second year, and I was fortunate enough to meet him at the Milwaukee airport about a year ago. We both were on the same flight that was delayed to Detroit um, and got to connect with him, and it's been really cool to see all the moves that he's made from getting rid of Jason Kidd to hiring Budenholzer, signing Brooke Lopez. I mean, every single move he's made has pretty much been uh, a success. So hopefully he can continue that. The East is obviously stacked. Uh, the Raptors added Marcus Saul, 76ers added Tobias Harris, Boston stood pat. Um, but at the end of the day, it kind of seems like a battle of who wants to lose to Golden State in, at the end of the season. Yeah, man. Um, and, living in California the past couple of years, I've kind of seen all the hype built up around that and, you know, seen some of their championships, which has been kind of cool to, to watch always, you know, of course, wishing it was the bucks in that yeah. situation, but, uh, they do seem like a juggernaut. I think they're a little more vulnerable than people will, you know, admit they are, but, uh, I think it's just kind of pulling, pulling the right strings. So hopefully, um, Hopefully someone's able to do it this year. I like to see a little bit of a shakeup. Absolutely. And I think you're right. There has been some tension and drama out there. Draymond seems to kind of stimulate some drama. And I think Clay Thompson is going to be a free agent coming up here. KD's going to be a free agent in the coming season. So LeBron's going to have opportunities to, you know. Sway them sway one way. Them, which he's already yeah. done because these are all guys he drafted for his all-star team, um, which is not a coincidence. But... Uh, what what is it like living in? Uh, I mean, because you live pretty close to where the Warriors play, right? Maybe an hour away. Yeah, yeah, I live uh, right near San Jose, so it's uh, it's Mountain View, California. Um, there's definitely you know a lot more as they started winning more. Of course, too, you see people come out of the woodworks with their gear, but um, you know I'd equate it to some of the hype that I see around Wisconsin sports at times. They're just you know great programs, so people wearing their gear all the time. Um, lots of partying after they win, mm -hmm. lots of partying. Um, not myself ever, of course, you know, you know me. <laughs> Absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're a strength coach. You don't party. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's been kind of fun to just, you get that buzz, um, when there's championship caliber teams around. And I think that's always something fun to be a part of. Mm -hmm. No doubt about it. So one other quick kind of hot topic that you had mentioned that we were going to discuss the major league baseball. Uh, both baseball guys grew up playing. They've proposed some rule changes, um, and I know there's a variety of them. I've kind of got four here to to discuss, and just wanted to get your take, and then throw out my take, and that kind of thing. So the Let's first the first rule, a three batter requirement for any pitcher. So you bring in a relief pitcher, and regardless of if he gives up seven, uh, well, I guess it would have to be three straight hits, but he's he's got to face three batters. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm on the fence with this one. I think that it will be good in terms of you know good and bad. 
the strategy piece of bringing in a pitcher just to get through one hitter or maybe even just two, like a small series, I think is is kind of fun to see how the managers might manipulate that, especially you know seeing what the Brewers did and Council, um, all of that manipulation in the postseason this past year. Um, so I don't know. I'm on the fence about that one, but I'd like to see it played out before I, you know, I'll just I'll stand in the middle on this yeah, one. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair to just play it safe, be diplomatic. <laughs> For me, I'm not a fan. Uh, as a lefty, I was a left-handed pitcher. Sometimes you want to bring in a left-handed specialist for the other team's top left-handed slugger. Uh, and that goes into the strategy of baseball. And as a baseball purist, I think that this would be an absolutely trash move to um, make it a three-batter requirement for pitchers. And even if you had a guy come in and he's erratic and you know that he's either hit or miss, his first two guys, he... He hits him in the back. It's like, well, I'm probably gonna want to pull yeah. that guy out. I'm not gonna make him pitch to the next. That's batter. true. I mean, it is a very psychologically demanding sport. So if yeah. you can tell right away if someone's not on there, you you you, gotta get you would out. want to to get them out. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe in an ideal scenario, maybe you get one of those a game where you can just uh, pull a quick switch it's and then they, one time. Yeah, and then then go to the three batter minimum. There you go. That's a new proposition, Major League Baseball, from Peter Lindsay. <laughs> <laughs> like it <laughs> easy new commissioner sign me up <laughs> so the second one is a universal dh so obviously we know the american league has a dh so pitchers don't have to hit whereas in the national league pitchers hit which is traditionally how baseball works like if you pitch you're you're also in the order and that gives you maybe some incentive to try to practice hitting or bunting which some pitchers seem to not do um but what what are your thoughts on that? Would that make it more exciting to watch baseball? Yeah, I, I think it would. Um, I definitely, growing up, obviously, watching the Brewers, they don't have a DH. Like, I'm, I am in favor of watching the pit, pitchers hit just because it's more entertaining than anything at times. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> no, but I also, you know, I like to see the athleticism. So I do like the, the rules separating right now, but I do feel like it can be – I don't know. It can lead to changes in the playoffs where you're, you know, you're outside of your comfort zone there. But it would probably make it more exciting, at least from a offensive standpoint. Yeah, no doubt about it. That's a good point. In the playoffs, you know, when we come to the World Series, if you're in the National League but you're playing at the American League stadium, you roll with the DH rule. Whereas if it's at a National League stadium. The pitchers hit so it's kind of unique to see those two dynamics playing against each other uh, i think it's inevitable that we see the universal dh i just don't think it'll happen in 2019 it seems like the season's so close and it would be kind of hard to implement a rule like that so quickly yeah i wouldn't give teams very long to adjust that's no. for sure right so the third proposed rule is a 20 second pitch clock and i think uh this is actually something that i would like to see uh, maybe even less, maybe 15 seconds. I it depends when they start it. But some of these pitchers really take like 30, 40 seconds. And I know it's a part of their psychology and how they try to get into the hitter's head. But baseball, I went to a game last year and it took like four hours and it was a nine-inning game. And that's, that's a lot from a standpoint of like spending hundreds of dollars to go and have this experience. Yeah, uh, I'm with you on that one. I'd like to see the pitch clock. Um, I don't know what the right amount of time would be. I think, yeah, 15, 20 seconds might be ideal. 
Um, I'd be curious to see how it's implemented with like, you know, if the pitcher steps off, are they going to restart, et cetera, you know, what they're, uh, what they're being tasked with in order to deliver. But probably my favorite aspect of that would be from a like fitness standpoint, you know, me being a, a fitness professional, I definitely like to see that people, you get some of these bigger guys and they're, you can tell their conditioning, their fitness is not up to par and they need these extra long breaks and then they're throwing gas because of that. Yeah. But I'd like to see from an athleticism, a fitness standpoint, everybody has to be kind of at a similar level, like you would be you know, in basketball or football. You're not going to be performing if you're out of shape. Some of these pitchers get that opportunity here. Uh, so I think it would, it would change things up for the better. Yeah, that's a really cool perspective to have, too, because I've never thought of it that way. So this is another reason why we need to push for Peter Lindsay as the next commissioner of Major League Baseball. Ooh. All right. <laughs> And last but not least, they're also um, proposing that a study takes place uh, and to research what it would look like to lower the mound. So this is interesting to me because I don't, I don't know exactly how they would design the study and what that would look like, how they quantify things, but I think it would be very interesting. And so right now baseball seems to be in a place of like pitching is very dominant and you either strike out or you hit a home run. There's not a ton of offense. So maybe this is a way to get a little bit more excitement generated in the sport. Yeah, and maybe a little bit more offense as well. I'd be curious too, um, you know, having a very unsuccessful pitching career, (laughs) you know, didn't make it much past Little League. Nice Uh, curveball though. But Well, yeah, it fell way off the table outside (laughs) of the strike zone. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I'd be curious to see how they structure that or even – I want to know what the intent is behind it before mm-hmm. I would really, you know, support what the study is going to be. Uh, but yeah, if it, if we're trying to just increase offense, it might be might be worthwhile. Yeah, I think it could be feasible as long as it's not going to uh, like increase the the injury risk for pitchers. You know, because it's already very hard for their arms to do what they do. And then if you lower the mound, I think it might stretch them even further. So that'd be something to look at too. Yeah, if the if the game physically adapts the players are going to have to as well mm-hmm. i think that's where you can run into some issues is when we're asking a lot more out of players because you know some confines of the game has changed and as you said with injury risk that would be yeah no bueno no bueno at all you want to keep your talent on the field that's, that's right that's the goal so okay so we hit a couple of hot hot topic buttons there and now i want to jump more into the story of Peter Lindsay, and uh, how about you start off and just talk uh, talk about your your childhood? You know, Sullivan in Jefferson, Wisconsin. Um, your parents, Dennis and Laura, siblings Aaron and Emily. I mean, what, t- tell me about it. What was it like? Oh man, I definitely loved growing up in a small town, Sullivan. I think there's less than 600 people as for population. And, you know, we were near near Jefferson, which is near your hometown of Fort Atkinson. You, got it. you know, Jefferson's a lot better, but uh, <laughs> no, just kidding. Big fan of both. But, yeah, I loved growing up in a small town, kind of a, a country boy, if you will. Um, but, yeah, I have a great sense of belonging there. My family's there which is kind of contradictory, right? Because I live in California. But I get back as often as I can. Um, yeah, I think it's given me a unique perspective as well. Um, yeah, and in terms of family, mom and dad doing great. They're still in the, the same house that uh, we grew up in out in Sullivan. And Emily and Aaron, 
brother and sister, they're doing well as well. My sister's got two little nieces now. They're ridiculously cute. I'm sure, you know, any uncle will say that, but uh, love them, get to see them as much as I possibly can. Um, but yeah, I, I've enjoyed my, my upbringing and uh, I think it's led me to some good places in life. I'm happy to continue the journey. No doubt about it. Just kind of getting started here. And so growing up, a, a big thing for you was obviously sports. I mean, you're very sports oriented. Um, and that's kind of how we got to know each other is I think I was in like a youth basketball league in Jefferson in fifth grade. And I kind of got to know of you, not know you. And then we played traveling basketball against each other in middle school and got to play against each other a little bit in high school. And, and we hated each other's guts. Certainly. I, I will back that up 100%. Um, <laughs> yeah, the rivalry was always fun. I, I agree with that. Um, seeing all those other characters as well from Fort Atkinson. You got uh, Fitzy, Edquist. Um, Brett McGurk. Brett McGurk, yeah, of course. So definitely had a great rivalry going. Basketball was probably the most memorable of, mm-hmm. of any of those. Um, but yeah, that was that's always been fun dynamic. You know, it that kind of transitions into like the next chapter of us knowing each other as well yeah no doubt about it I mean that's that's kind of what I've got for that the next part here but um so yeah we we played against each other in baseball and basketball and even football and then unfortunately there was a conference realignment after our sophomore year before junior year so I uh Fort Atkinson gets sent to this uh conference with a bunch of teams in Madison and we just get whooped on for the rest of my career and you kind of get to continue playing against similar teams and even some smaller teams than Fort Atkinson and you guys had a lot of success in high school and if I'm not mistaken you broke the Jefferson high school rushing record I did I did I had a uh, fantastic team around me like the the offensive line we had and the coaching staff at the time was phenomenal and our football program is probably most memorable for me and uh, we struggled for a long time and then you know as I was a junior and senior well senior year we got close to a state championship and our only two losses that year were to the division three and division four state champs so yeah we played some good teams we had some great athletes on our team but um, yeah I was very thankful to be a part of that and uh, that's probably what led to football being my favorite sport as well, is just mm-hmm. being a part of that kind of atmosphere and uh, tasting some success like that. No doubt. There's just something about the brotherhood of football and Friday Night Lights and growing up a Packers fan that it kind of separates football as a sport from the others, even though like I've got so much love for, for basketball and baseball and golf. But I think you're totally right that football is just something special about it. And I, I'm worried that we're going to lose it, to be honest. Yeah, that that weighs heavy on my mind as well. I'm curious to see the evolution of the game. You know, we're learning a lot more about CTE and all about all the different impacts that happen with the sport. Um, and people are having to make a decision of like, well, you know, there's a high chance probability that I'm going to have some sort of, you know, brain damage from this sport. And uh, so there's a lot of uncertainty around it right now. I'm sure you're on the, the forefront of that and you're up to date as well. But uh it, it would be interesting because if you change the rules, <laughs> it's like, is it the same sport that we know and love? Mm-hmm. Does it become something more like rugby? And, mm-hmm. you know, not that I'm a hater of rugby, but I love football has its identity of this kind of violent sport. And I think that's part of what makes it so cool. Um, but, yeah, we got to find a way to, to protect people. Um, or maybe it just comes back to being like in ancient times where it's like, hey, you can participate in this. There's a lot of glory involved, but there's also a lot of risk involved too. So, you know, we'll see 
how things advance here. Yeah, I think there is a lot of symbolism with um, like the Roman Colosseum and the yeah. way that, you know, people would gather and watch guys kill kill each other, you know, fight to the death. And that's what football is on uh, a micro scale, right? It's not people trying to harm one another. You know, they I think they all want to protect each other and their family and their livelihood. But in, as the game's going, what's their mission is to, you know, knock the other guy over, to hit him harder than they hit them. Yeah, I mean, growing up, what did your football coaches tell you? Say, we're going to be more physical. We're going to knock them on their ass, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's the culture. It is the culture. So, And it's tough when you start to see professional football players and uh, maybe even guys who just played college football who decide to retire at 23 and then say that they're not going to allow their children to play football because when you start seeing those actions taken and people saying things like that, then those same people aren't going to support football as much. They're not going to watch it and consume it and spend money to go see it. So that's why I think in 20 years, I don't know what football looks like. I don't know if it's flag football or, like you said, if it's just one of those things where we know the risks, but it's also an opportunity for people who maybe come from nothing, and this is the chance for them to like break out and provide for their families. Yeah, absolutely. That's... Um... That is an interesting part of the whole conversation, too, is some people that may even be less aware of those risks coming from, like, lower socioeconomic, you know, backgrounds, too, um, participating in it. And then, as you said, a way to give back. Like, that's uh, – I haven't thought about that as, as much until just this moment, so it's kind of a, a little bit of a revelation for me. But it will be interesting to see how it progresses. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, if you think about the demographics of professional football players, it's – primarily minorities um, and not that the only people who struggle financially um, are minorities, but I think they do comprise a higher portion of, of that segment. So um, it it does make sense from that standpoint, but um, it's, it's just a tricky topic in general. And you hope that there's ways that we can create technology and ways to protect the athletes and in helmets and gear and, making new rules that change the way that tackling is allowed. Yeah, yeah, kind of like the first thing that pops to mind would be like what Pete Carroll's done with some of the Seahawks. They're just kind of changing their approach to tackling, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, kind of getting low and twisting up the legs. But then it's like (laughs) you substitute one thing for the other, right? We're protecting the head, but you're tearing up knees, ankles, all those other things. And I think even some football players, was it Tony Gonzalez was quoted saying, I'd much rather have someone come after my head than my knees because he says knees are career ending uh, that was a while back but like yeah i think it that's it still may ring true yeah yeah um i'll have to do my fact checking on that by the way um, <laughs> fake news <laughs> don't bring be, that on my be. podcast hey, hey hey um one thing i wanted to ask you while we're talking football football uh packers packers how 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 do you feel we're we're looking for the upcoming season? How do you think, you know, with Matt LaFleur being brought on, um, my personal take on it is I feel like offensive-minded coach like that could go amazing, could go real poor. <laughs> we'll have to see, you know, how, how he and Rodgers, you know, and the rest of the staff, how they mesh up. But um, I know you, you stay up to date, and I want to hear what you have to say about it. Yeah, well, I think it's all a big mystery. I don't think anybody's going to know whether it's a success or not for multiple seasons unless we go off and win the Super Bowl next year. But 
it's it's definitely an interesting move. I think the NFL right now, everybody's trying to do what the Rams did when they got Sean McVay, you know, go for the young, bright mind, offensive-oriented, and, you know, hopefully it works out. It, it is all contingent upon his relationship with Rodgers in the same way that in the NBA it's all about LeBron James and Magic Johnson and their relationship and how they can get the Lakers to be what they want it to be. So yeah. I'm optimistic. Uh, it's I think both Clay Matthews and Randall Cobb are potentially gone. Yeah. Um, I would like to see Randall Cobb retained as a slot guy, or perhaps we could get Cole Beasley from the Cowboys. I think those are uh, that's a move I would like to see. He's and a tough guy. Well, I would like that. Tough. He's yeah. got great hands. You can trust him. Run good routes. He's kind of like an Edelman, just much smaller. Yeah, and Edelman's small. Yeah, I know. It's amazing that that guy is, you know, doing what he's doing. Cole Beasley being at that size. Yeah. Um, one other thing that I wanted to say too is, you know, you said a lot of people are going the the way of the, uh, you know, hiring the offensive minded coaches. You got Nagy in uh, Chicago. Mm-hmm. You got Sean McVay with the Rams. Uh, it's interesting that the Super Bowl was a completely defensive game. Yeah. You know, if you like seeing quarterbacks eat the dirt, that was a great game for you. Otherwise, no I, I, you know. So it's just really interesting to see the contrast. It was, yeah. And I think if you get the Chiefs in that game, you get the Saints in that game, it's completely different. But because it was the Patriots and Rams, for some reason, their styles, not to mention Tom Brady did not play a good game. Jared Goff's pretty overrated. Like, that that makes it tough. But the, the that matchup right there just it didn't lend itself to much offense. But So speaking of defense, one thing I do really want the Packers – to do one move I want them to make so he traded haha Clinton Dix which I think is fine I think he was actually overrated when you look at like the saber metrics the numbers I want them to go get Landon Collins who's been a, a great safety for the Giants he's only 25 or go get Tyran Matthew who was with the Texans obviously with the Cardinals and he's an LSU guy played for Les Miles who's now coaching here at KU um, oh yeah, that's that's cool. I yeah, forgot about that. Less is more. So I think get get Landon Collins or Tyron Matthew. That would be uh, really a strong power play. Yeah. Do we trust Matthew to uh, keep his head clean? Yeah. I think so. I hope he's grown up. I yeah. mean, he's kind of our age. So when I think about myself when I was his age, like I was I was a dummy. I did some stupid things and <laughs> and I was very immature and I wouldn't even I wasn't I wasn't a man. Like I hadn't grown up, but. Now, I mean, I guess I'm I'm closer to that, and I would assume he's probably um, in the same boat. So yeah, I think he's shown some more maturity. It's just one of those things too. I, from uh, an athletic standpoint, absolutely, I would love to see either of those guys here. But that would be my my only concern with with Matthew. Yeah, so that maybe we go for Landon Collins. Just go for the number one guy and pay him, and and know that you've got a guy back there that you can trust to make the play. I think that'd be fun. So I'm glad we got a little football discussion in there. That was not written in the outline, but uh, we will continue onward to the University of Wisconsin lacrosse. And no, we did not play lacrosse at the University of Wisconsin, <laughs> which everybody thinks. It's so good it, clarifying uh, call out there. Yeah, um, but that's that's really where our friendship blossomed. Um, you know, we we grew up neighboring cities, rivals. Everybody knows. Uh, what that's like everybody's got a rival and then we end up at the same the same university and you know we kind of gravitated towards each other similar interests and uh ended up living together for two years 
How crazy is that? <laughs> Who would have thunk? Yeah, no, that was uh, that was definitely unexpected to say the least. Considering the amount of trash that we talked to each other, you know, while we played <laughs> sports, and uh, I don't think there was a, a shortage of, uh, I don't know, not like malicious feelings, but not disdain. You know, yeah, nice, well said, well said. Um, yeah, no, it was, it was a crazy story of you know how we actually that friendship actually started, and uh, as as you said before, when certain you know foolishness abounded in in lacrosse. You know, yes. that's that's how, how things go there, but it also is part of the experience. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it was, a, it was a good story. And living together was, yeah, two years at 327. 327. And Pine? Then, yes, of course, Pine. Yeah, Pine. Uh, yeah those, were, those were great times, man. Probably thinking back, some of the most exciting, at least, and uh, fun times that I had in college. Yeah, it was. It was. Those are the most fun-filled years, and I always look back so fondly on lacrosse. And I was actually just talking to our friend Mike Knutson from Jefferson, not okay. not the one from <laughs> lacrosse, but um, about about lacrosse and how much we would both love to end up back there if if the opportunities arose. Because it's just a gorgeous area. It's a it's a safe and fun community, and there's just something about that Wisconsin culture that, you know, you don't really get that. I don't get that in Kansas and I love it here. And I know that you don't get it out in California because it's kind of night and day. Yeah. The, the contrast is pretty, pretty clear in terms of just like holding the door open for someone or saying hello randomly on the street. You just, you don't get the like, Oh, hello back. It's just like, I've seen some very weird looks when I talk to a random stranger out in California. Um, yeah, it's great, great culture. I would agree. Lacrosse is a pretty special place for, for a lot of reasons for, for both of us, I think. Um, yeah, I don't know. My, my cousin actually lives there now. He loves it. He's got a family there. So yeah, great place to raise a family, a lot of memories, a lot of nostalgia, but that's what I wanted to talk about is, so we finish up in, in lacrosse and, and you get this gig out in California working for Exos at Google, and it started out as an internship. And just can you talk us through that that process, the transition from being in, in lacrosse as a college kid to now being a big boy out in Cali doing your own thing? Yeah, man. Um, definitely. You know, one thing I think about when I reflect on that is, like, in life, I feel like there are certain times which are just major forks in the road of life, like yes. on your journey. And that was definitely one of them for me, the biggest one so far. Uh, but yeah, was in school and just finished up the exercise science degree and was contemplating a couple of different internships and talked to a, a colleague or excuse me, uh, just a, another classmate who had done an Exos internship. She said that she loved it and uh, decided to try it out. When I saw what was available, I was like, oh, wow, like Google campus Exos internship like this sounds like the best of both worlds mm-hmm. so I thought I'd be a fool to to not jump on it and uh yeah so I just took the opportunity did that ended up loving it uh the Google culture is unlike anything else that I've ever experienced it's an absolute melting pot uh since going out there I just feel like I've grown up in leaps and bounds and you know it might just be that kind of the time in our lives to do that but part of that is being exposed to so many different things um, and, you know, with that being said, Exos has been a great company, exposed me to many different things. I've gotten to work with, you know, 
Googlers, some of the like highest performing people in the world. And then like we get the opportunity to not only um, help them achieve better at their jobs, but like they're inspiring us too, is what, you know, they're always so thankful to us, but like we, we owe a lot to them and what they've done for us too. So very, very grateful to have that opportunity and, and jump out there. No doubt about it. So I think they call that a symbiotic relationship. Is that when both organisms are benefiting? Definitely, man. Yeah. It's a it's a culture of performance, really, and uh, yeah, it's just it's been phenomenal. Yeah. So you focus a lot on the physical side of performance, but do you also have any influence on the mental side with them? Do they talk to you about those kinds of things? Dude, honestly, I would say, at, like from a coaching standpoint of working with that population, a lot of it is just taking care of them above the shoulders. Because, mm. like, most people will come in and they'll say, like, yo, this is the best part of my day. I would not miss your class for anything. Uh, and like I said, that's part of what, like, motivates us. But um, at least with also within the, you know, Exos methodology, we one thing, we have four pillars, and one of them is mindset. Uh, so we really are checking in with people, seeing how they're doing when they're coming in, and it's like... Our job is to really give them what they need that day. If they're looking to just crush it, you know, we can put them in the dirt mm -hmm. and, you know, get them what they need. But if they're coming in not so great, like, it's a great time to, like, have that conversation. How's your sleep? You know, how's life? How's everything? And sometimes you end up being a little bit more of, like, a therapist. Yep. And, uh, to that. Yeah. And honestly, I love to do that and get to know people and just, like, you know, just as much as we're helping them, um... Uh, they're helping us to kind of reflect and, and get better at doing that. So yeah, the long way, very long winded answer to your question I is like we, we do a lot of that stuff. Um, and I think that's part of what makes a good coach, a good coach is not only the ability to execute the X's and O's, put people in good positions, keep them safe, but like, are we going to keep them safe mentally and like be someone that they can truly lean on for support? Because mm -hmm. that, that makes a huge difference in, performance, life, like everything. No doubt. I think caring and empathy are two things that society needs more of and that you definitely exhibit both of those. And I know you do with um, your, your students, uh, <laughs> if you want to call them that. So. Thanks, man. I've also had a lot of great mentors and, you know, learning from good friends like you as well. So I appreciate that, man. So mental health, a passion of mine, uh, something that I would even like to get into research with if I ever go that route. Um, how much emphasis does Google put on mental health? Because I know, you know, Google is the kind of place where they feed you for free and they've got coffee shops and a lot of those are great perks, but they're also there because they want to keep their employees on site. They want you to keep working. They'd rather have you work in 80 or 100 hours a week. So do they have programming set up for mental health? Do they have um, people come in and talk about that? What does it look like? Yeah, so I think, you know, I would never be able to fully speak to all of the initiatives and efforts that they're doing for it. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm so I'm sure there's more that exists than what I know even, but I like that is definitely something that is being emphasized now, especially as we get into 2019, people are realizing that um, it's, it's just so important, mm -hmm. right? Just as much as taking care of the physical body, like yeah. you got to take care of the mental body as well. Um, so yeah, there are, there are some programs um, something at Google, like there are these internal resources, they call them like go links. So you can like go slash eat. If I wanted to see food, there are certain ones for like mental health as well, mm. you know, that allow you access to these programs. Um, 
And yeah, I think like mental health has a lot of stigmas that are associated with it. And one thing that I think the Google culture does well is break down a lot of those barriers. So um, there's definitely a, an effort within that. Uh, within my team, like, you know, we, that's not our primary focus. So mm-hmm. I, you know, can't speak to that as much, but it does exist. Good. I love it. And I love how progressive it is, not only out West, but especially at Google. And, you know, here we have a sports psychologist and athletic scooter. I took you by his office today. And, um, but it's just one of those things where I think we should be investing so many more resources and, um, time into student athletes, mental health and just people in general. And I think the only way that you're going to get, uh, somebody to actualize their potential is to make sure that they're right in the attic. So I, I just think that, um, that's one of the things that we need to be more conscientious of and more intentional, uh, about at least just having conversations. And like you said, there's a lot of stigmas and it, it can be hard to even talk about maybe you're going through anxiety or having some issues with something, but you don't want to say anything because you don't want people to view you in, in a way like there's something wrong with you, but there's, there's really not, you got to treat, um, mental health issues in the same way that you would treat other issues, whether it's a disease or a sickness or a broken leg. Yeah. You know, and I don't pretend to be an expert by any means, but one thing that you said too, is I do think we need more resources. Uh, even consider like a sports psychologist, like they, most teams hire one for a team or like one for a program. And it's like the one to many approach is really tough there unless you have really good tools surrounding you. So I definitely would love to see, Uh, more resources dumped in that way no doubt and I mean you can have a sports psychologist but then that sports psychologist also needs to build relationships with the players and develop trust and if you're working with a team of 80 to 100 football players or 40 50 baseball players 20 basketball players how do you go about developing those relationships in an authentic way and maybe you come through for a couple guys but it's impossible to get them all and the fact of the matter is you know, I don't know what it is, if it's 50 or 60% of society right now, but there's a lot of people who are struggling with a lot of things. So I'm glad that we kind of just went down that path and got onto it. Um, I do have a health and wellness little section here with oh some boy. questions that might, um, uh, I don't know if they'll catch you off guard or anything, but uh, obviously you work in the industry and you're very passionate about this realm and you have been ever since I've met you. Um, so what, what would you say is one or maybe multiple misconceptions when it comes to health and wellness, whether it's fitness or um, nutrition? Is there any, any misconceptions that come to your mind? Yeah. Um, one big one that jumped into my head is that in order to be successful and achieve the results that you want, like most people's results um, revolve around body composition, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like everybody thinks like, oh, I got to absolutely, you know, you heard me mention it, put put myself in the dirt with every single workout. And I think that is one of the biggest misconceptions. Am I saying you shouldn't work hard? No. (laughs) But there are certain days when you need to know when to push and when to back off. So having like good self-awareness of that, Things like, you know, some wearables can help you, like the, the rings or yeah. the, the bands, Fitbit, uh, you know, whatever. Not an advertisement for any of that by any means, but that can help you. But essentially, the analogy is, is like, in order to go fast, you have to be able to slow down at times. 
because if you're constantly just pushing yourself to your limit and you're just pushing a little closer and a little closer to that peak, eventually you're going to fall off the cliff. Mm -hmm. So it's how can we keep going a little bit higher without falling all the way off? Um, that would be one misconception. I like that a lot. Because a lot of times, especially in lacrosse, when I would be lifting and stuff, it'd be like leg day. Okay, so today I'm going to do back squats. I'm going to do front squats. I'm going to do deadlifts. I'm going to do lunges. And then for the next three days, I'm going to barely walk across campus to my classes because everything's shredded. <laughs> um, and then the same thing with arm day and chest day. Now I've taken a little bit of a different approach. Granted, I have a trainer who writes our program at noon usually. And we do a little bit of everything most days and sprinkle certain things in. Um, and I really like that approach. Like it doesn't, like you said, it doesn't beat you down. Like maybe sometimes you think you should in order to really get stronger, but I'm still noticing uh, improvements in areas and um, I'm not absolutely dead or crazy sore anywhere, but I know that I'm getting stronger. Yeah, I think that's a really good approach, just the balanced approach that's going to help you progress not only, um, yeah, just get those results, but also it's got to be sustainable. It's just like, you know, fad diets. I can lose 20 pounds in, in 10 days. It ain't going to be pretty, and I may <laughs> gain it all back, right? But uh, I think the same could be said for, um, you know, programs that are asking you to do an absurd amount of volume and, you know, basically crush yourself every single day. A little bit of that, yeah, you need, but uh, it doesn't need to be every day. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, I think that is a perfect misconception. I like it. Um, how about what's something you've learned lately or something that you're in the process of learning? Oh, man. I always try to stay in the growth mindset. Um, I think from a you know fitness perspective, a current thing that I'm I'm trying to learn and have a better understanding of is just getting uh, the body and primarily everything from your hips and your ribs to your shoulders in the right position. Um, we might call that the pillar, right? Mm -hmm. It's a foundation of all of your movement. So how can I best take someone uh, who's thrown out of alignment, get them back to good alignment just so that I can get them to breathe better and then move better? So, like, that sounds really, really vague, but it is pretty complex when you sit down and think about it. Um, and also just trying to learn about how, yeah, breathing and your position that I was just referencing, like, how that all plays into one another. Um, and so just trying to learn a lot about that. And then uh, the other thing that I'm trying to learn right now just is uh, it's tough but it's making me grow a lot is I'm doing a little bit more of the management side. So getting to understand like the flow of classes, what we need to you know offer when and where, what strings to pull in that category. So that's been interesting, especially because I have like zero <laughs> like formal business mm -hmm. uh, training. So it's been really fun. I've gotten some, some good mentoring, some, some good guiding, uh, but that is something that stretched me as well. I love it, man. Yeah, so the role that I have in KU Leeds has definitely got some administrative work uh, entailed, and it can be a struggle because a lot of times it feels like busy work. It's not glamorous. It's not sexy, and oftentimes it's not fun. But, you know, when you get called upon to take on those duties and they're paying you to do so, then, you know, we, we, we nod our heads and we get to work. So I love that you're learning that. And also you talked about breathing. I've been not – super good at meditating regularly but I think a lot about meditation and I try to when I'm upset take some deep breaths and 
I think it is really interesting, and I look forward to seeing what scientists learn in the future about the way that we can impact our mental state through breath. Yeah. I There's a whole rabbit hole I feel like we could jump down into with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've definitely, you know, we've probably talked about this before, but the um, the book search inside yourself was really cool for me just from like an emotional intelligence standpoint, learning to breathe, meditate a little bit and just like breaking it down in easily digestible ways. So that'd be one of my favorite recommendations for people who want to learn more about that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's so important and it's like, it kind of goes into, um, like positive self-talk, positive psychology and those different things too. So I'm I'm glad you brought it up because that is, it's, it's important. No doubt. Mindset is key. So in regards to motivation, when you're dealing with Googlers who are maybe low, having a rough day, going through a divorce or something, and you're aware of it, what are some strategies that you use to, like, pick them up, to get them going, maybe for a lift or just in general? Do you you have anything you use? Yeah, that one is is sort of a loaded question because my approach – um, you know, I used to try to approach everything the same way and I would really replicate what other really intelligent people have done before. Okay. But what I learned about is the more you can build a relationship, understand that person and that individual first, mm-hmm. then you can start like working on those motivational strategies because, you know, someone who comes in and if I see them having a hard time, I, depending on the person and the personality, I might, I might like, you know, joke around with them, give them a hard time, get a smile on their face that way. And then we can start to make changes. Uh, but other people, like sometimes they just like want to be left alone slash they want to talk about it in like a very open way and understanding way. So those strategies vary depending upon the person. And I think that's why, uh, you know, I see a lot of technology related to, to fitness coming out lately, but I think that's one reason why, uh, technology will never fully replace the human connection yes. is to, to think about those things and make those types of decisions. Uh, so again, sorry, incredibly long-winded answer. My short, my short answer would be, <laughs> yeah, learn about what that person's doing and then just say like, hey, if they don't have a goal, why, why are you even coming into class? So I'm always going to revert back to that goal, oh, whether it be yeah. a, a physical one or a mental one. Yeah. Be like, hey, you wanted to be here four days a week. I didn't see you on your fourth day last week. You get your butt in here now. Call them out. You've yeah. never had a problem with calling people out. I'm, I'm not. I'm af- not good at it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not afraid of confrontation. Certainly, I think that uh, to a certain extent, I thrive a little bit within confrontation. But I always try to, you know, you don't want to come off as brash or you don't want to be a jerk, right? So try to ride that fine line and just know. If you come at someone from a way of like, I, I know about you and I care about you, like that's where I'm comfortable with confrontation mm-hmm. as opposed to like, you know, if you're just trying to be a jerk because you had a bad day, like that's totally different. But yeah, I, I don't know. For better or for worse, confrontation's not uh, the worst thing for me. I think it's for better for sure because when you can find comfort in that discomfort, I think that's going to elevate you to, to new levels. And, and that's a key to leadership is being able to have difficult conversations, whether you're letting somebody go or saying, hey, I need you to step up your performance. So I envy that in you because I'm a people pleaser to the core and I, I avoid confrontation. And as a result, like that, that could limit my potential, honestly. But so I, lo- I love that uh, about you. And I totally agree that when you're dealing with motivation and and people that it's it's case by case 
you can't just have a one one strategy applies to all deal. Yep, I'm I'm with you on that. So you talked about technology, and it makes me think of like robots replacing us all, and a universal base income, and all these different things that we hear a lot about, especially you probably in the Silicon Valley. But <laughs> coaches coaches cannot be replaced because of emotions and like you said decision making and and relationships and, and connection like we're never going to feel necessarily a connection with a robot so i think that's those are keys to to keeping humans employed hopefully long term when we're thinking about those things and um, another piece of technology that might relate to this question how do you track progress with um, your googlers Oh, it's a good question because it happens in in many different ways. I think that's one thing that we're actually trying to deliver against as a company right now is like, hey, how are we tracking? How are we showing we're making an improvement? Um, if if you're asking me from like a, more of a personal standpoint, like some people that come in, they they're not really interested in like seeing the hard numbers. So like with with some folks, I have them write it down. Yeah, where they were at. How many pull-ups could you? How many push-ups could you get with good technique? By the way, mm. if you're doing uh, bad reps, they don't count at all in my gym. So uh, <laughs> just get the hell out of it. But um, yeah, so you know, tracking things like that, but also just like checking in with somebody on a subjective level. Like, how do you feel? I've had many people tell me before they start coming to classes, and this is all over. Like, we have phenomenal coaches all over the campus. Um, and many people say, I hear this story a lot. Hey, when I first started coming to classes, like I could barely survive 50 minutes of that class. I was not sleeping. I was eating like crap. I was, you know, you name it. And it was, you know, bad health lifestyle choices. But what really, you know, turns all of that around is you check in with them in two weeks, in a month, in three months. And they start saying, I've got more energy at work. I'm sleeping better. My relationships have improved and all like I'm eating better. All that stuff stacks on one another. And so my biggest thing is like, I'll just have people reflect on that and I'll just ask them those questions because sometimes we get so carried away with our day to day. Like, oh, I got to go, you know, have this meeting and then I go to my workout and then, you know, I got to get home and and, uh, play with the kids, tuck them in, whatever. Like just check in and have people reflect because we're so busy going A to B to C that you don't stop in between and just be like, you know, the old adage of smell the roses. Mm. Well, we need to smell the roses a little more often. Yeah, it is a rarity for people to actually reflect back. And and I think that's where we could kind of avoid a lot of the crises that people experience is if you would just take the time to think about how far you've come, like where you started to where you are now. Yeah, I know you want to be a millionaire and you want to have a wife and you want to have kids and financial stability. But guess what? You're, You're no longer a broke undergrad who has still has acne and struggles talking to women or, or whatever it is for you. So I think reflection's huge. And I like that you talked about the qualitative piece because we live in such a quantitative world. Like everything's data, 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 numbers, numbers, numbers. But the story can be found in the qualitative data. Like, the, like you said, asking them how they feel. Well, we can't say when you feel... Like, okay, I feel a 7 out of 10. Well, what does that mean? Feeling is it's more than that. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's so much to be said for that. So, uh, yeah, definitely just checking in with those folks. 
see see how their life's going too because that's also the other part about knowing whether they need motivation or not because if you ask that question they're like well um, i don't know i'm doing all right and then it's like mm-hmm. hang on i need to ask another question to like see how you're doing right so, yeah and that goes like to like all fields i think and again you know i'm not a master of that but like whether it's your employees, whether it's someone that you're training or mentoring, like even relationships, yes, right? Exactly. Like, oh my gosh, that's something that has been so key uh, for me is just to try to understand that. And again, not an expert, but <laughs> learning, growing, trying yeah. to improve all the time. Absolutely. That's what I love about you. So yeah, I think a lot of times and pretty much everywhere you go, people are like, hey, how you doing? And it's like, good, how are you? I'm I'm good. Like, that is just such a standard. And surface I, level. Surface level, man. I can't stand it. So I try to focus on just, like, saying hey or, like, a greeting or even just a smile and not speaking unless somebody wants to, like, legitimately have a conversation. Because don't don't ask me how you're doing if you don't care. Like, you can say, <laughs> how, how are you doing or how are you doing? There's two ways to ask the question. And I think that when somebody asks you that, you should also keep it real. Like, don't don't say fine if you're not fine. And usually if somebody does say fine, they aren't okay. Like, yeah. Fine is usually, like, <laughs> probably where you would ask another question in one of those situations. Very true. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I'm definitely guilty of, uh, you know, having those surface-level interactions, but knowing when to, you know, push the buttons of, like, you know, saying hello. Like, I we interact with a lot of people during the different or a given day so it might be very draining to do that for everyone but like for folks that you really you know you might need to to go a little further with them I think that's a great strategy and there's a huge difference between how are you and how are you doing yep yep a very small difference but it makes a huge difference um so yeah I love that I love this conversation it's been fun I want to finish off with a little game I'm gonna call it fast money We got some questions for you. This will be the second time we've done Fast Money. Um, Yeah. Is there there actual money involved here? Yeah, well, we'll we'll see. Okay. (laughs) Check in with the production manager. All right. So we've got nine questions. Most of them are either or, and there's maybe one or two where you're just going to have to think of an answer. So you ready? Let's go. Is am I supposed to go as fast as possible here? Like the rules? I, I would say let's let's make it a rather rapid deal, but there's no there's no <laughs> okay. pressure. Like okay. you know, if you need to take a second to think. And number one, squat or bench? Squat all the way. Figured king of exercises in my opinion. Squat or deadlift? Squat. Squat or squat? Mm, <laughs> squat. squat. <laughs> and I'm guessing when you talk squat, it's got to be back over the front. Oh, it depends on your goals. But Does it really? I yes, from a health standpoint, if you can get to a good position in front squat, front squat. My personal favorite would be back squat, just because I think it challenges me the most. And uh, yeah, if I had the choice, I'd choose back squat. But not everybody's ready to put a barbell on their back and squat down and stand up. So right. gotta I be did, careful. I did back squats today. Ooh, had all a right. couple plates on there, and uh, yeah, I did I thought quite a few reps. I thought I noticed you walking in a little bit bigger than when you came out. Yeah, you bet. <laughs> <laughs> cold brew or espresso? Cold brew, easy. Ooh, cold yep. brew kind of guy. Steak or seafood? Steak. Red wine or white wine? 
whiskey, <laughs> red wine. I, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Yeah, absolutely. Baseball or basketball? Wow. Am I playing? Do playing and then do spectating. If I'm playing basketball, or no, the other way around. If I'm playing baseball, if I'm spectating basketball. Mm. I can see that. Ocean or mountains? Mountains. Best book you've recently read? I know you just referenced one. but <clears throat> Sapiens. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm like an absolute broken record with that book. Just, I love it. I think everybody should read it. But, uh, yeah, it uh, it was very enlightening. You, you know, you never, well, likely never going to agree with 100% of the things someone's saying, but I think a lot of Yuval's um, uh, musings in that book are very enlightening to no, me anyway no doubt about it i'm currently working through that and uh our good friend mitch is also going through that right now nice yes so, shout out to edquist shout out to eddie we love yeah. you <laughs> mm, favorite part of ku campus so far uh alan field house field house yeah pretty special that was uh you could feel the energy just walking in there, and there was not a soul in there, so that was pretty cool. Yeah, there are spirits in the field house, yeah. no doubt about it. Last but not least, Wisconsin or California? Wisconsin. Yeah, it's gotta be. let's go. That's where my heart and soul is, man. You know it. Man, nobody from Wisconsin goes to Cali, and then, well, I guess there's probably some people who do, but when, when you're <laughs> from Wisconsin, like that's just your place. Yeah. Something special about it. It is interesting that there's always a draw to get back there, at least for like 99% of people that I talk to. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So before we conclude this, which we will shortly, I I skipped over a part because we were getting into the mental health and wellness discussion. But so after you moved out to California, there was another intern that followed you shortly after. <laughs> Her name is Tess Wilson. Yes. Tess wound up being a roommate of yours and a colleague of yours. And shortly after, she became a lover of yours, and you started dating. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yeah. Tess, uh, one of my favorite people, and we we just got engaged, so really excited to talk about that. That actually happened in lacrosse, which is this, you know. Incredible. Yeah, long, long story, but uh, we both went to school there. Didn't really know each other that well, and... uh, after she moved out, took the same internship I did, you know, we became fast friends. And shortly after that, we realized that it was like more than friends. Uh, so I've been really lucky to like grow and learn a lot with her side by side. I think we've both made a lot of strides for, for the better. I think that's, you know, what a lot of relationships are all about, at least in my opinion. So I've been very, very thankful and happy to, to have her, uh, and I'm proud to say she's stronger than I am, way more of a badass. Mm. Uh, so I get to, you know, be with her. Not only that, but like learn from her too. So it's it's been great, symbiotic, as you would say. Symbiotic. I love it, man. I love your guys' story, and I love you too. So the last question for this this episode, and it comes from Mitch. Oh, perfect. Yes. How does one go from liking someone to deciding they want to marry them? It's a great question. Yeah. Um, there's definitely 
a stage of like contemplation about it, but like the biggest thing is it's like it's a feeling that I can't necessarily describe. And I think that's when I knew on top of having the thoughts of like, hey, this person is like a lot of everything that I look for in a, you know, a partner, like once I had that feeling that I couldn't really explain, I was like, I really think that this is is what it is. So, you know, on top of all of the you know, things you might make a list, right? I didn't do that, but you might make a list of everything you're looking for. And then to have that, that kind of connection that you can't explain, I think that's where the leap really took place for me. And uh, I waited a long time. Like I knew that for a while before I asked her. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that's, that's part of the journey. No doubt about it. There's not necessarily a, a right time for it. That's something that I've come to learn with talking yeah. to a lot of people. It's just the decision that you make and and you yeah. go through with it. So. And we can, we can check back with Tess later to see how I did on that question. So yeah, sure. I, think, I think I saw a ring at one point, <laughs> so you should be in good shape for now. <laughs> well, Thanks, Ed Quist. Yeah, that's a good question, Eddie. <laughs> Pete, I love you like a brother, man. I appreciate you and Tess being here this weekend, and I look forward to spending some quality time with you guys. Um, and appreciate you taking some time to record this podcast. Thanks, man. Love you, too. You know that. That'll be a lifelong friendship, and uh, this was this was pretty cool. Thanks for uh, you know showing us around, playing host, and this has been real fun to jump on the podcast as well. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have any uh, final words for the listeners, any final musings or words of wisdom? Hmm. Don't wait. Go out and get it from a fitness perspective and sleep more. Hmm. Sleep more. You're going to feel better sleep more absolutely i think i need to take that and put some action into sleeping a little more myself so peter love you appreciate you this is all great and i appreciate everybody out there listening please do get on itunes and not only give us a rating but give us a review because that's the only way we can grow and with that said it's Derek stark for the get stark podcast we'll see you next time bye-bye